Support for industry focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, January 20th, and we're following up on our Resolutions Tech Show with a framework for analyzing a stock. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by the head of Fool.com's financials and healthcare coverage, Michael Douglas. Oh, hello. Michael, people enjoyed your appearance on last week's tech show so much that you got an encore. People, people being primarily you, which I appreciate, <laughs> and and one one listener, yes, who reached out. Um, <laughs> this is the power of emailing us, right? If you reach out, we will, you know, absolutely devote a whole episode just to talking about whatever's on your mind. Well, we are, generally, we are desperate and beholden to our to our, <laughs> to our dozens of listeners. Yes. So we got an email from. I hope I'm saying this right, John Bin, and he loved the idea of having a more formal approach to analyzing a stock, and wanted to know exactly how Michael did it. And this is something that we talked about on last week's resolution show. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it made sense to bring you on, uh, have you explain what that framework looks like, and have us apply it to a pretty well-known tech company, Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know this is the tech show. We should probably talk about tech things at some point. Um, yeah. So. <clears throat> uh, it, it was actually very helpful because um, m- while I have a, a pretty time-intensive process, I haven't actually written it down previously. So this was really good for forcing me to kind of get organized and, and think through it. Um, and, and the reason I have this sort of time-intensive process is that I've realized that my psychology as an investor um, is that I tend to get ex- irrationally exuberant about a stock, a story, a company, an idea. And it's great to get excited about things, but um, the thing I most need to do is slow myself down and make sure that I do this sort of rigorous analysis to make sure that I am confident that the story I'm buying into is is one that really is worth my money. Um, and so, so this approach is really kind of your speed bumps. Yes. Your intentional speed bumps. Yes, exactly. Um, and so um, your mileage may vary. Let's just let's let's continue with the. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you made that joke memory. last time too. Oh, yeah, thanks. When we were talking about credit card rewards. Oh, uh, what can I say? Some people <laughs> just uh, repeat themselves. Um, but uh, and, and you know, steps can be adjusted. There's no one size fits all way to do this, but this is just sort of how I approach it. Yeah, we're gonna lay this out, and there might be things that you think are more important mm-hmm. when it comes to analyzing a company, or they're like. Why didn't they include this? Right. If if that's the case, email us at industryfocus@fool.com. We'd be happy to hear about it. But um, and then maybe we'll just have a whole episode in which we we apologize <laughs> for things that we missed. It, it might have to happen. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully not. But um, the thought here is this is a framework. Um, you can co-opt it. You can use bits and pieces of it. It's just a way to kind of get yourself thinking and organize some of your thoughts. Exactly. Um, so. I guess I'll start with step one. Yeah. So um, I, I think of it as sort of a four-step process. Step one is to learn management's broad story. So this is to understand. Um, th- I think the first step to understanding a business is to understand how management explains it to the world. Um, and so uh, it, I think of it a little bit like for you philosophy nerds out there. Hopefully, there's not just me. Uh, Hegel talk. You know, has the thesis, antithesis, synthesis framework. So you want to get that initial thesis from management. Um, the antithesis will kind of come later, and the synthesis is kind of your ultimate. Thoughts on the stock. Um, For any listeners that feel bad about not understanding the Hegel reference, yes, I will plead ignorance. I don't know. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> well, so the idea is that you um, you have a one way of doing things, and then a very different way comes, and then long term the two kind of get fused together. So an example would be um, capitalism, communism, 
and then mixed economies mm-hmm. um, is just an example of Hegelianism. It doesn't always work, but sometimes it does. It sounds like a very appropriate way to look at things when you're looking at the tech space. Yes, uh, because you're going to have your bulls, and obviously Facebook management, a little bit bullish on their own stock, you're going to have your bears, and then you know, I think good investing is understanding both the opportunities and the threats. Well, and the landscape just changes so much within tech. You know, you right. look back at Facebook's in their time as a very well-known platform, they went from desktop to primarily mobile, which is something mm-hmm. we'll talk about a little bit more. And being able to make that pivot uh, and be flexible and, and, and nimble uh, is a big part of being able to survive. Right. Um, so I think from from that, you know, the, the question I like to ask are things like, how does this company make money? What is management identified as the company's Kind of main growth drivers. How big are they? What does the opportunity look like? You know, say five years out. What distinguishes this company from the competition? What threats have management identified, and what are they doing to minimize them? All right. So why don't we run through some of those? Facebook makes money via ads. Yep. They, they, are, <laughs> in they case, are in fact an ad. I, I know you don't cover tech. I wasn't. <laughs> I just Thanks want to for make letting sure. me know, Dylan. I appreciate that. Uh, in full transparency, Michael did a ton of the heavy lifting for the research on this show, so he is he's very well versed in Facebook. Shocks, thanks. But uh, yeah, uh, some ninety percent of their revenue comes in via ads, and eighty four percent of their total ad revenue comes from mobile. So they are heavily reliant on mobile. A long time ago, people were worried about their ability to pivot to a more mobile oriented browsing experience for mm-hmm. users. They've clearly done a very good job of that. Yes, and and that's great because frankly, mobile is where. Your growth's going to be um, desktop. Just isn't isn't long term. Isn't going to do nearly as well as mobile. Um, and, it, and it's an easy way for some of the more developing markets to gain connectivity, right? Exactly. Um, so that's definitely a, a big a big plus uh, for their movement on on mobile. Um, so talking about the company's primary near and long term growth drivers. Um, so Facebook has sort of like a a three, a five, and a ten year plan, and and uh, Mark- which is excellent, by the way. I, yes. they are a company that is very good at outlining what they're thinking. Yeah, and and I I've seen a few other companies that do it, but not many. Um, usually, you kind of have to cut through what management says to kind of understand what they think, and then kind of try to put numbers to that. Uh, I do appreciate that Facebook is pretty darn transparent about where they think things are going. Yeah, they're very blueprint blueprint oriented. You'll mm-hmm. see it here, and you'll also see it in how they decide to kind of roll out and develop their platforms. Right. Um, so thinking about those uh, near and long-term growth drivers, so the three-year plan is, you know, they're really focused on improving and expanding the community they have, growing users. Okay, that makes sense. There are very clear business metrics tied to that. Um, so that's things like your monthly active users, your daily active users. Um, you can you can see um, they're focused a lot on video, uh, which um, boosts user engagement, which is interesting. Frankly, it's difficult to click away from. I ought to know. <laughs> yeah, it's very compelling. I catch myself all the time looking at videos by Tasty. Uh, they're the worst. I don't, know, I don't know if you watch those in the Facebook feed, but the food prep videos, they are so well shot, and they look scrumptious. Yeah, it's it's brutal, especially when you're like maybe at the gym, and you're like, ah, oh, no, you know what I don't need right now? To see this like amazing mac and cheese. Or use it as the motivation. Yeah, because I can have this afterwards. Exactly. That's worth, worth a shot. <laughs> um, their five-year uh, stuff, they're really looking at uh, Messenger and WhatsApp monetization. Um, they're also looking at um, so, so beginning to monetize those. Um, then also driving further monetization in Instagram, um, what they're doing with video, and also improving their search capabilities. And then a little bit further out, 10 years, they have the grand ambition of basically growing internet access. Right. Because currently, somewhere between three, three and a half billion people have access to the internet. World population over 7 billion, I believe. 
Yeah. So there are a lot of people that still do not have internet access, still do not have connectivity. And a lot of the stuff Facebook's doing via internet.org is kind of getting at that and finding unique ways to bring mobile connectivity or even very, um, very limited connections to people in uh, developing parts of the world. Right. Um, and, you know, also, they've done a few things that really sound kind of moonshotty. Like, you know, you hear about virtual reality and you're like, okay, cool. You hear about AI and you're like, yeah, yeah, Terminator, we've seen it, right? But the thing is that what they're hope they, they have clear business outcomes tied to these. So, for example, with AI, I mean, part of, part of their plan here, and there's a lot of optionalities you can imagine if you're able to actually kind of put AI together, but one of their clear current business metrics that they can drive with that is better curation of their feeds to make sure that those feeds are serving up really the most engaging content possible for the person based on the person. And you can see how that would really help grow their engaged users. That would help grow you know, how many ads those users see, how relevant those ads are. And so it really ties directly into the company's bottom line um, in a way that a lot of tech companies with their moonshots don't do as well. The, the next bullet point within this section, what distinguishes this company from the competition? What do you see with them? Uh, well, so obviously they're larger social platform, yeah, you know? <laughs> um, and and they appear to have really cracked mobile in a way that a lot of other people haven't. Um, a lot of the internet is still very much struggling with mobile marketing, um, whereas Facebook is really, I mean, eighty four percent of their spend is coming there. You know, it's it's not hard to see that this is something that they've really done a good job with. Um, I, I think as well um, the network effect. So you know, as they've got what three. Three properties, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Messenger, all have over 1 billion monthly active users. Right. So you can just imagine that as, as each of those gets bigger, it gets stickier, right? Like if everybody you know is on Facebook, you're going to get on Facebook, right? Um, and that's why it's such a big deal when someone is like, I'm going to deactivate my Facebook because everybody's there. Yeah, the value proposition is so strong for existing users and so compelling for people that were like kind of on the fence. Mm-hmm. Ah, but, you know, like every single person I know organizes parties via Facebook events, and I don't wind up getting the invites, and now I don't get invited, and now I'm hanging out by myself on Friday night. This is starting to sound a lot like a personal <laughs> story, Dylan. No, no, I'm not, I'm not bringing my personal life into the show at all. I have a Facebook account. I <laughs> just want the record to show. Yes. Um, but yeah, so they have, they have those three properties with over a billion monthly active users, and oh yeah, as a kicker, they have Instagram, which has over 500 million monthly active users. So a very strong business with a lot of properties with a ton of potential and mm-hmm. just a very big, almost what I would think of as kind of an installed base. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, for this, the sort of resources I tend to look at are, um, you know, a webcast or transcript of the company's most recent presentation at an analyst conference or um, a, an investor presentation or the annual an, uh, shareholder call. Um, those are usually available on the investor relations sites. Um, and those are, you know, there's usually some presentation materials associated with those. So it's a good source. And those tend to be the times where management gets a little bit more vision oriented mm-hmm. and, and big picture. So uh, what we're going to talk about next is quarterly results right? and you know the conference calls that they do. And sometimes you get that flavor there, but very often those are very metrics oriented. Yes. And so what you might find is, and I see Facebook do this every now and then, um, they won't touch on the same things every call. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get an update on maybe the number of small businesses that have pages on Facebook every two quarters or right. something like that. And so um, that's where 
it can be helpful to look at annual reports and things like that and then use the quarterly reports as something to kind of stay up to date on those things as they feel like sharing them. Yeah, if you think of it like a lasagna. Um, and you know, <laughs> I can't wait to see where this <laughs> metaphor goes. Right. Um, so, you know, the broad story is sort of the, the, the pasta of the lasagna, right? That sort of outer uh, and layered shell. And then you have to fill it in. Um, with the meat of the matter, which is how are they making money? Um, and and that is what the quarterly calls do. Not too bad, right? That was much more cleanly executed than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a compliment or a, an implied insult, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, so some questions I like to ask, you know, in case we didn't get it in the first part, like how does this company make money? And I, and I say that because a lot of companies will kind of obfuscate. Well, they'll be like, oh, you know, we have these three big things that we do, and one of them is 99%, and the other two combined for 1%. And so obviously, I should only care about the first one right now because you know the other two don't matter. And it's and it's relevant to Facebook, right? Right. I think maybe 200 million last quarter came in via payments and fees. Right. It's a pittance. You know, if, right. if, you, if you if you hear that's down three percent. You might think, oh, wow, that's that's something I should care about. And then you look within the context of their overall business, and you're like, yeah, they're yeah, really not, not all that so relying much. on that. Yeah. yeah. And that's why um, the 10Q and the 10K can be so helpful because, and those can be found on, uh, at, if you just search Edgar, E D G A R, like Edgar Allan Poe, but just Edgar, uh, you'll find the SEC's website where basically, if you put in the ticker, in this case FB, um, you can get all their, um, all their, uh, filings with the SEC, and that's where you can find these kind of numbers. Um, so it, it's helpful to kind of look at both of those together to just sort of understand both sides of it. Um, you know, I, I often ask, you know, what numbers didn't management emphasize in their presentations? Um, really, I, I felt that they actually did a pretty good accounting of stuff. Um, but sometimes a management will sort of like skip over something and you'll see it in there and it's kind of important and that's where the investigative reporting kind of comes in. Yeah, I think... It isn't so relevant to this discussion, but using this framework to apply to other companies, if you see management apply a unique non-GAAP figure to results... And, and GAAP, in this case, is generally accepted accounting practices. Thank you for butting in. I appreciate that. Yep. I, I would gloss right over that. Gotcha. Um, but if you see someone highlighting a number that is not a standard number, I mean, have some questions about it. Yeah. But very <laughs> what you'll see sometimes is they'll have this metric and they'll tout it for two quarters, and then it won't be such an appealing metric anymore, and they'll just stop mentioning it. Right. And so those are the times where you have to scratch your head and then look back and say, well, what, what happened? How come they stopped bringing that up? And see what that really says about business results. There's, there is the, um, the omission factor, right? Right. And you want to dig in. And this gets to what is sort of, um, sort of broadly speaking, one of the underlying questions when you're investing, and something we'll get to more in step four, is do you trust management? If management's trying to pull wool over investors' eyes, guess what? Run away, <laughs> because chances are pretty darn good that things aren't... Like, if you can't trust the story that they're telling, then that's a really big concern. So, uh, always something to keep an eye out for. Um, uh, another thing that I that kind of gets to that as well that I often look at is, um, you know, within their annual filings uh, with the SEC, this other 10Ks, companies have to disclose what their threats are. Um, and sometimes management talks about these threats, and sometimes they don't talk about some of them. And it's always interesting to see which ones they emphasize and which ones they don't. So I, I picked a few out of Facebook's 10K that I thought mattered, and a few that really don't matter as much, don't seem terribly likely, um, because you know they have to disclose all of them. Obviously, they're not going to talk about all of them because some of them really are, you know, fairly minor. So, so what makes the matters list? Um, philosophically, or the actual list? 
<laughs> the actual list. Um, so first one, uh, failure to, resi- to retain existing users or add new users. Yeah, that would be a big problem since they are an ad platform, <laughs> right? But uh, fortunately, you know, the it's very clear that their metrics are good, right? So their monthly active users are up 16% year over year in the most recent quarter. Their daily active users are up 17% year over year in the most recent quarter. Uh, uh, quarter. Um, mobile's increasing faster, which is good since, again, the world is shifting toward mobile. So all in all, that is a, a credible threat. It is a thing that they are controlling for nicely. And those are pretty gaudy growth rates. Yeah. And they're on denominators that are over a billion. Right. So they're they're doing pretty well when it comes to user acquisition. Right. Um, they've got another one is basically, if marketers stop spending money on Facebook ads, that would be bad. Yes, yes, that would. <laughs> That's the whole business model. Um, that said, Facebook is investing really, really heavily in analytics to help uh, marketers get a very clean uh, return on investment or ROI calc so they can understand okay, I spent $5 in ads and I got $8 of value. Okay, cool. That's a calc that we're comfortable with. Um, and uh, I'm really impressed with actually how proactive they're being about that. So I think that's a very good move. Yeah. And just broadly speaking, I'm not super worried about the movement of ad dollars away from the Facebooks and Googles of the world. Right. You know, I think that they're strong. A lot of advertisers have seen the money that they're pouring into those platforms prove out. That's why they continue to do it. And I think you're just going to see those flows continue. Right. Um, another one, um, and we'll just talk about maybe two more um, competition. So, you know, when it comes to digital ad spend, Google's the top dog. Google is a credible threat, although, frankly, in social, they haven't done so great with right. Google Plus. Um, so, that is a credible threat if Google is ever, or sorry, Alphabet, I guess, technically, is ever able to really kind of muscle into social. But so far, they haven't been able to. That said, it's an important thing for them to keep an eye on, and I'm glad that they're doing so. And we talked about the network effect before, right? There, right? To a certain degree, that's a moat for Facebook that insulates them from some of these competitive risks. It, it's really hard to get over a billion people to stop using something. Right. Um, finally, ad blockers, you know, um, they that, that could be a concern. That said, the fact that they're moving toward um, the app, as you mentioned, Dylan, is actually a good sign because, so far at least, no one's figured out how to put an ad block within an app. Um, but inevitably, there's always going to be this thing, right, where you've got um, companies trying to make money and then people trying to improve user experience, and they're always going to be kind of um, yinning and yanging with, e- yanging with each other. And so there's always going to be some tension there. Um, that said, so far, Facebook has actually profited from the movement away from desktop ads, um, which is rare and a good sign. Yeah, the control that being a standalone app for a smartphone gives Facebook is really incredible when it comes to ad blocking because unlike when you are say accessing Facebook on Chrome or accessing Facebook on Firefox and you can have extensions that will run on top of the site and um, manipulate the user experience so that ads might not show up, you really don't have that type of access. The average consumer can't do that within a smartphone app. And so Maybe that changes at some point, but to again, to a certain extent, they're kind of insulated by that. Right. Um, a couple of examples of less important ones. New products or product updates could fail to make people happy, so they won't use them. Yep, that's life. Uh, we may not prioritize short-term financial results. That's not a bad thing. That's great. So, you know, uh, just a couple examples of threats that you can sort of, okay, fair. Um, then another question I'd like to ask is, is the story that management told in step one still on track? And yeah. Very much so. Um, and especially the sort of three-step framework they have for approaching these apps, where um, step one, or phase one, I guess, is, 
a great consumer experience plus scale. Phase two is people interacting with businesses freely. So for example, business pages on Facebook. And phase three is helping businesses reach people with ads. Um, so if that's something that they're able to roll out effectively on Instagram, and then further down the line, hopefully, um, in some different way with Messenger and WhatsApp, then that gets very, very attractive. Yeah, that, that's another one of the blueprints that management is very good at talking about, very open about, and they're very clear with their investors and provide regular updates on the phases that these different properties are in. If you're looking for a risk in there, I think there is one. I don't think it's huge, but I think there's a fundamental difference between Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger in how people use them and kind of what their user experience expectation is. So with Facebook and Instagram, people are posting and it's for public consumption mm-hmm. and there's this feed style to it, right? And that lends itself very well to in-feed, kind of in-line ads. Right. When you're talking about messenger apps, it's a little bit different. You're not exactly sure what that looks like, but that approach isn't going to work quite the same way. Right. And so, on my end, I don't have any doubts that they are going to find a way to monetize those properties, but I do think that they're going to have to be a little bit more creative about it. Yeah, totally. Um so with that in mind, you know, step three, I think, is you know, basically decide: do, do I like the business? Like with all this information, let me synthesize it and basically say, okay, cool. What's the overall story with the company? We've already covered that, Dylan. So I'm just going to skip it. You know, I think everyone knows at this point. Ads. Um, you know, heading back to step one, you know, do we believe that management is accurate in their portrayal of where the company is and could be? I think the answer is yes. They seem very realistic. Um, and I, I think um, the big question then is, do we trust management? Um, and uh, it's interesting because um, you know. Mark Zuckerberg, as far as I can tell, is a visionary first and a businessman second. And so there's always inherently a bit of a trade-off there, and that can be frustrating because you know business people will better monetize than visionaries. That's just kind of how it works. That said, for something as dynamic and and difficult to stay in front of as social, um, he's clearly somebody who's thinking 10 or 15 moves years ahead, um, and that is exactly the person who I want steering the ship for the largest uh, social network. And you see them as a business, and Zuckerberg, I think, too, recognize how important it is for him to be at the helm and right. for him to maintain control. And so you look back to the stock split that they announced, I think it was early 2016, and we're still waiting for details on when that might execute and, and some more specifics there. But the company announced a three-for-one stock split. And what that would do is uh, there are two existing share classes, A shares and B shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, Existing shareholders of those would get two C shares for each one they hold. And so, effectively, if you had one, you're getting three. Um, Where this plays into the ownership structure and control of the business is A shares have one vote, B shares are kind of super shares, they have 10 votes, and C shares don't have any voting rights. They have the same economic value as the other shares, theoretically. But most of the shares that Zuckerberg owns are B shares. Mm-hmm. And so this stock split will allow him to give away shares to the charitable organization that he set up, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, um, and still maintain control of the business, which I think is what you want as a Facebook investor. I don't know anyone that can really steer the ship for them any better than him. Yeah, they are not a candidate for an activist investor. Um, I think they are exactly the sort of business that needs to be allowed to invest for the long term and just think through kind of what they want to do. And of course, that brings us to 
Question four. Before step... we get to question oh, okay. four, All right, Michael. Go ahead. I know you're eager. I am so eager. But we're gonna tease. Question question four is what's what's the decision ultimately? Right. Right. Before we get to that, I gotta gotta give a shout out to Rocket Mortgage. Support for industry focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, Michael, drum roll, please. <laughs> we said we'd save this valuation, make a decision until uh, after the break, mm-hmm. build a little suspense. Um, what goes into, once you've done all of this kind of qualitative business look, what's this final step? So, valuation is a sticky, tough thing, right? Because, um, you know, it, it's dif- it's difficult to value a business. Um, and so, for me, what I tend to look for is, um, it depends very much on the industry, right? So, if you're talking REITs, you're going to go off funds from operations. Um, if you're talking uh, clinical stage biotechs, you're going to go off... Peak sales. Gee, I wonder what industry you regularly cover. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Interesting. A financial and a healthcare <laughs> company. Um, if you're going off, um, you know, a, a profitable uh, large cap tech or consumer goods company, hint Facebook, um, then I I'm kind of inclined to go for just you know price to earnings, kind of looking at. Um, Compared to where the S and P is, and then sort of what the growth rates look like compared to the S and P. So, um, you know, Facebook's trading at around forty-eight times trailing twelve months earnings as of right now, and around twenty-five times forward earnings per share, which is a big drop off. Yes, uh, and it's a sign of just how quickly uh, analysts at least expect them to grow. Um, so. Um, for me, at least, to find this company attractive, and you know, for everyone, this is a little bit different. But I, 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 I want to see revenue and earnings grow at least twenty percent a year over at least the next five years um, to to feel comfortable buying at that valuation. Um, fortunately, Facebook's growing a heck of a lot faster than that, um, having uh, having increased revenue by like a, what fifty percent, something like that. Something along those lines. Uh, last quarter, um, so. Obviously, that's that's good. Now, um, keep in mind they are not going to be um, increasing ad load further. Um, so that means the number of ads in the feed, you know, won't be increasing further. So that's part of what that growth has been. But for them to slow down to twenty percent revenue and earnings growth, ad load would have to be a majority of their ad growth and just shut off, and a bunch of other things would have to go wrong. And I feel pretty good about that not happening. Um, and so, uh, and so, I'm I'm pretty confident they can they can get to that. So one of the things that I always think is good to look at when you're thinking about growth expectations and and really what your shares can do and Mm -hmm. and kind of what the ceiling for growth is, is to consider the market cap. This is something our boss, Anand Chakavalu, kind of always reminds me of. And currently, Facebook is a $370 billion company. For them to double would be taking them to about the size of Apple right now. I think that they have a ton of growth avenues available to them, and that's something that can certainly play out over the last over the next couple of years. But 
you look back, they doubled over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some people looking at them as a business will say, oh, well, they did that in two years, so, so it's reasonable to see them do that again fairly quickly. The important thing to keep in mind is the larger you get, the harder it is to have growth that really meaningfully moves the business. Right. And so, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that it's a great business. I think growth is going to keep happening. But keep in mind that it might not be at the same clip that it's been over the last couple of years, particularly as they look to monetize platforms that are a little different than their core namesake one and another one, Instagram, that's very similar to it. Totally. And and, and I, I think that that is exactly correct. And, and and that's why I kind of went with that 20% number, because it's so much less than they have been, um, that I think it's um, it's it's pretty reasonable to to think that they may be able to beat that. Um, I will. I will say, uh, having having done this analysis, um, I am not a Facebook shareholder. Um, I am planning to become a Facebook shareholder um, at some point in the near future. Yeah, I am in the same boat. Um, I had made the resolution in early 2016 to own at least one Fang stock, and I wound up buying Alphabet last year. And I've sat on the sidelines for Facebook for a while, but when I look at what they're forward earnings valuation is and the clip they've been growing at and, and kind of what they would need to really justify that. It seems like there's a still pretty big runway ahead of them. Yeah, that's the hope anyway. That's the um, hope. I guess I guess we'll just have to see how it pans out. But uh, thanks again for the for the listener question because it, it it led it led to me living out part of my resolution to you know analyze at least one stock a month. I've knocked that off, which is good because January is ending before too much longer. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully that'll be something I'll actually be able to keep to for the rest of the year as well. For a resolution show callback, it turns out John Bin is your accountability buddy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's still you. Oh, it's still me. All right. Well, well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out and say hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@pool.com. You can always tweet us at MF Industry Focus. Like Michael said, we love to get those messages, and it winds up turning into a show more often than not. If you like the show and you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Michael Douglas, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.